Hey, Jack, have you seen Seven Brides for Seven Brothers? Yeah. What about Seven Samurai? Yeah. Seven? Yeah. Today's the seventh episode, could you tell? What? What's in the bag? Let's find out. This is the Cinema for All podcast. The celebration of going to the cinema. With Jack Chell and Abby Standish. Welcome back to the Cinema for All podcast. I'm Jack. And I'm Abby. And we are excited and slightly hysterical to share with you the seventh episode of this season. Great. Well, Abby's had a very bad cold and I've been doing finances all week and we've not talked to each other about film hardly at all no about anything so we are chomping at the bit we are waiting to speak as you could tell from the opening of the episode but buckle in for quite a uh, slightly goofy slightly hysterical episode yeah big change from normal yeah really opposite end of the spectrum yeah I hope you all realize that you're impacting on mine and Abby's friendship because we're saving all of our good conversations for the podcast We've got to. We've got to be fresh with the facts, with yeah. the with the reactions. Uh, today's episode is a little bit different. We are our own segment because we're super jazzed. It's been the award season mm. uh, recently, so we're going to be talking about the recent award recipients. But we're also going to talk a little bit about our favorite iconic moments from uh, past and present award shows, and just for a, just for a bit of fun. But before we begin. Do you want to set up your own community cinema space? Well, after listening to this, go to our website, cinemaforall.org.uk, for all the information you need to get started. We will help you! It's that time of the podcast where we catch up what we've both seen at the cinema and at home. Mm. And the tables have turned today, Jack, as you can see that I'm speaking because you have been to the cinema and watched loads of films. You've been inhaling films at the moment what have you been seeing i have so i've seen loads and i've seen a lot at home and i've seen a lot at the cinema the main thing that i've seen is parasite twice yes for parasite 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 big round of applause parasite <laughs> because i blimmin loved it to bits and i think it's thoroughly deserving of all the things that have been said about it um we'll talk about it a little bit more when we talk about awards season in yeah. a little while but it's also led me to a lot of other korean films as well that i hadn't seen before i've watched pretty much everything else by bong joon ho which i'd seen a few of i'd seen snowpiercer in particular which i absolutely love um but i've gone and watched the rest which i've loved to bits i watched mother last night on movie um making the most of that movie subscription which is it's a pretty much a flawless film to be honest um what else have i seen in the cinema i saw the lighthouse um which is actually fantastic i thought that i wouldn't like it very much because i didn't like the witch or the woo witch as i like to refer to it <laughs> didn't like it very much just not my cup of tea but this really was the performances with robert pattinson and willem dafoe particularly willem dafoe are just outstanding why was that man not oscar nominated for the lighthouse mm, i have no strange. idea um and usually with a film with lots and lots of stillness i do sort of struggle <laughs> nod off <laughs> getting old poor attention span um but did not nod off in this film and i i really really did love it the dialogue in particular is is superb and at home i've been watching some kind of interesting older films i watched wise blood which is a john houston film from the very late 70s it's got brad Dorif in it as a lead character which you don't normally see he's normally sort of a bit of a sidekick he's in blue velvet he's in one flew over the cuckoo's nest oh, which he was yes. oscar nominated for yeah. um and that's a fabulous film it's it's not 
It's not like any John Huston film I've seen before. And it doesn't feel like it's made in 1979. It feels like it was made in 1993. It feels like a Jonathan Demme film. Um, it's got Harry Dean Stanton in, who, as Great. everybody knows, is my guy. <laughs> He's everybody's guy. He's one of the greatest actors of all time. But that was also an immaculate film. I, I adored that from start to finish. And then I've watched, I've watched loads, but a film that was a bit noteworthy that I thought I'd mention on the podcast was one called The Honeymoon Killers, which is a film from the 60s. And it's based on a true story of a couple that were known as the Lonely Hearts Killers. And they uh, met kind of lonely women through a correspondence club and started off by just kind of stealing their life savings, that sort of thing. But it quickly turned into murder. And it's, it's, um, it's a film that has influenced a lot of other filmmakers, a lot of modern filmmakers, because of some of the cinematic techniques rather than the story. Cool. The filmmaker, the director, he was actually an opera director and he was, he was roped in to replace Martin Scorsese on that film because oh. it didn't work out with Scorsese. What? Yeah, crazy. Um, but some of the angles are exceptional. Some of the way that, the way that the film is edited together is exceptional and it's so unusual and it's the only film that director ever made he just went back to opera after that so if anybody's able to get hold of the honeymoon killers it's a criterion collection film um i, I would 100 percent recommend that as a as a real treat that sounds amazing yeah a bit opera- john watersy but uh, but less kind of silly quite serious and disturbing um in a in a very serious way whereas john waters is disturbing in a in a ludicrous way mm-hmm. yeah mm. It makes sense for an opera director to take to take that story on. I think. Yeah. It sounds yeah that just a v- very vivid and rich kind of expression of what was going on. Absolutely. Right? And when you take those kind of like normal stories, but you um, project them in such a, a cinematic and theatrical way, that's quite yeah. That's an operatic thing too. Good point, Abby. And it makes sense with a lot of like natural born killers and Pulp Fiction. Those kind of depictions of the couples being yeah. this kind of wild um you know criminal spree um often feel operatic um in 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 their depiction which is great but it sounds like this this guy's led the way yeah it was it was great awesome what have you seen um okay so i was laughing earlier as i was typing up what we'd seen with the contrast which we do love this contrast we do um you know jack's seen all these excellent um Wide, wide, wide variety of films, and I recently watched The Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants. You know, I like that contrast between us very much, and that's not to say that that's a permanent contrast. That I only watch highbrow films, and you only watch yeah, it's The very... Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants. <laughs> like we swap, we change, we're we interchangeable. Lo- we're friends of all cinema. We adapt. <laughs> yeah, we 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 do. We we love all cinema, and and this whole podcast is a celebration of going to the cinema and all the films within yeah. its house. So it's nice to celebrate them. And I came late to this film. It was like to me by Ellie in the office and it's a great like 2000s just like gal story for friends um and going through different parts of their teenhood and uh, uniting together over the difficulties that they share yeah and I just I really enjoyed going back to that for for a night it's got Rory Gilmore in so Rory Gilmore that's our Gilmore girls reference for this episode yeah one an episode one an episode can't 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 uh, miss that out I also watched um, Red Joan. I think I'm just kind of catching up with some things. Oh, sure. It's kind of boring. It's as that a film. Judy. It is. It's our Judy, you know, and she's great in it. And, like, everybody in it is really good. And it was interesting to see, you know, about the um, the moral weight of 
being part of creating the technology for for well the nuclear bomb technology mm-hmm. which was used in uh, the second world war uh, i also saw well rewatched nine to five i haven't seen that hey! since i was about 10 um it used to be in a box set of dvds we had when it had nine to five steel magnolias and then just stepmom in there okay no i yeah. can see I get why, but where's the, you know? Is They're not- quite sad though. Yeah, nice vibes, not sad. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think it was like Dolly, Dolly, and then like ah, I don't know, Susan Miss, Sarandon, Miss Women, Miss Lady Films, All the women. Uh, but it was a great box set, and producer Jay lent me the DVD, and as he lent me it, um, he walked into the office with his rucksack and played nine to five from his phone. I'm like, what's going on? And I just took took that as normal, just dancing around to that. And then he pulled out the DVD and presented it to me. Aww. So again, a little tip there. If you're lending DVDs, you want to make that exciting again? That's yeah. one way you can do it. Showmanship, come on. Show, yeah, come on, put some production into it. Mm. Um, and just so great to revisit that film now <clears throat> as an adult. Um, it's so much more fun than I even remembered it being. I love all the kind of daydreams they have about getting revenge on the boss and Lily Tomlin, Jane Fonda, Dolly. You can't just pick one. They're all great. Mm. I also love, uh, if anyone's seen it or remembers this bit, or I've watched it recently when it had the re-releases, uh, the woman who drink, drinks a lot and then like, I think they all just decide to go to the bar because they're, they're all just sick of hit the, the boss and she just keeps going, add a girl, every time a different woman <laughs> decides to go off and do that and it's just a very, I, I love those moments, I love those characters. Um, I also saw Underwater, the Kristen Stewart. Oh man, you're such a case you completist. I know. I don't know what's why. Like ages ago, my friend assigned her as one of my case. We pick a case study for each each other each year. Just just a star that seems to be in a lot, and you've got to watch all their films. She had Channing Tatum that mm. year, and I had Kristen Stewart. Mm. And this was Channing's like big ear year, like Fox Hunter. Did you say big ear year? Yeah. <laughs> You know, and like, and and Jupiter ascending. Sure. Oh, it was a big year. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. he was in a few. He was in a lot of stuff going on. So Channing was a really interesting case study. As was Case Stu, because she's in a lot of different things. Um, you know, she's in Charlie's Angels and Underwater. Underwater was not great. No. It kind of can't be. It's just like a film that just can't be bothered. And the monster in it was. <laughs> you got shocked. It wasn't great. <laughs> no. I know, but I was really in for it. I was in for like a, like a a 90s alien blockbuster type film um because it had a bit of those it was going for those vibes but mm. it did not succeed um but you know eh, it was fine i just wonder what's happened to her film choices has her representation sacked her because she's she's gone from being in things like the clouds of sils maria mm. to being in what whatever rubbish just rubbish hasn't she really <laughs> i kind of like yeah, the films aren't great, but I kind of love that sometimes. I like, like, I feel like her and Robert Pattinson both starring in Twilight mm. and what they've gone on to do. And then you look at their filmographies, they're quite intriguing. I know, yeah. like, Robert Pattinson's really tried to carve out that independent film life. Sure, but he's the new Batman. But he's the new Batman, exactly. Well, yeah. And then, like, Kristen Stewart was in loads of independent films before Twilight. And then, like, I still continue to do that, but also has, like, these underwaters. That should be left underwater, maybe. Yeah. It's fine. It was not bad. It was not good. It was hey, Mike, you're allowed to love Christian Stewart. I love John Barrowman. <laughs> I love John Barrowman. I do think she's a good actor, but the film was bad. We're moving on. <laughs> um, and 
another great home watch that I watched uh, is called The Celluloid Closet, which is a documentary all about queerness on screen. From oh, like, ace. You know, since film began to, I think the documentaries probably came out in 1995. But it's got all these great talking heads from the screenwriters and the directors and the actors who were either queer coding some of these things into films when they weren't allowed to be there, as well as... Um, just some really good anecdotes about why they felt passionate about these certain stories that came to light and I recommend it to everybody to watch because um, it's got a lot of films mentioned in there um, from queer cinema that you might not have thought of that in your usual top 10. Mm. Um, but the film I really want to talk about is Birds of Prey. Oh, you! Lo- I bet you loved it. I loved it it's so much. It's got Abby Standish written all over <laughs> it. Female action comedy, love. Um, I loved it because it was... It's highly camp and highly ludicrous, but in doing that, it's very, very entertaining, but also the the kind of emotional moments hit harder and the kind of like you gain a lot more kind of background character and reactions to the scenario than you would from, say, you know, I am going to compare them, a Marvel film, which, you know, I've grown quite tired of and... Um, th- that kind of like do 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 music <laughs> to really boring action sequences that last two hours and no character development and just the idea that these are all so heroic and upstanding and amazing and, and I, I I don't want that I think I realised from a comic book movie this is what I want Birds of Prey mm-hmm. where everybody's pretty complex a lot of them are quite bad people but it's very humanistic um, and I think Harley Quinn is a great character and a great character in the comics and in the animated series and it was really cool because Margot Robbie produced the film and she's been trying to do something like a Harley Quinn project for like four years after Suicide Squad which wasn't a great film and plus she's highly sexualized in that film um, and you can see in this film the difference of when it's been taken under control of some other filters um, mm. and it's got a great female director Kathy Yan um, and just it was just a lot of fun and it's just like a great it reminded me of the you know the campiness of the Tim Burton Batmans um, but yeah it just it just knew how to have fun with itself and it's a great kind of Friday night film and I just loved it and I think everybody should watch it <laughs> hey that sounds great Abby and I love award season. Yeah, it's a bit of silliness. Yeah, it's a lot of very rich people wearing very expensive dresses, celebrating a very niche part of our culture. But we absolutely love it. And we stay up late to watch it. We watch all the repeats. We watch everything about it the next day in the office. So we're going to have a chat about it today. It is exciting. And I think this year was particularly exciting because something won Best picture of the Oscars that wouldn't normally have a chance in hell. Can I say hell on the podcast? Is hell okay? <laughs> Great. <laughs> so, Abby, what are some of your highlights of this year's award season? Well, um, I'll, I'm go- I won't talk about Parasite just yet, but okay. that, is, uh, that is a big one. Um, it was just so great to see him be so shocked each time he won and just was so graceful. Um, my top moments of the Oscars 2020. Mm. Um it begins in the red carpet as it always does for me because it's a great time yeah um i think i love the kid from once upon a time in hollywood she's called julia butters so that's a great point great name yeah she's 10 (laughs) and she was she designed her own dress she made a sketch of a dress she'd love to wear and sent it to the designer to make okay so yeah extra and She's so excited about the Oscars, but so over it at the same time. And I'm, I lived for it. In one moment, I'm like, I just can't understand how, like, obviously a lot of child actors are so used to being around adults all the time. They're kind of 
articulation and speech is unnerving yeah. how ready they are to kind of have a lovely press chat on the red carpet but she's like so excited and then the next minute she's just like yeah I don't really care <laughs> and it's quite funny and refreshing is she actually <clears throat> the same person as the character in Once Upon Maybe a Time in Hollywood is. she could well be <laughs> but the best part is she brought a turkey sandwich with her and put it in a tiny clutch handbag mm. to eat at the Oscars because she wasn't sure she'd like the food that was served at the Oscars. No, that's fair. She should have snacks. Yeah, she should have snacks anyway because it's long. Mm. Um, and she's, you know, she's ten. She might not like fancy food. Yeah. So I had snacks at home. I had two blocks of milk. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Nice. I had a, a whole lot of ice cream. Um, and Laura Dern saying she could give. Her Oscar, if she could give her Oscar to Greta Gerwig uh, right now she would that was at the press conference after mm. she'd won lovely moment we'll talk more about that because I'm sure you've got some major Laura Dern stuff to get off major, your chest major um, Natalie Portman wearing the Dior gown with the names of the female directors that she felt were snubbed just gorgeous as well the embroidery yeah. The embroidery, The embroidery, the attention to detail. The detail. So, yeah, a message and style. And that's ultimately what you hope the award season can be. Um, This is more of a question than a moment I've loved. Why was Eminem there? (laughs) Well, he never performed when he won for 8 Mile. Oh, like in 2003? Three, eight? Yeah, when he won for that song, that sort of, so it, was, it wasn't even like 10 years ago or 15 years ago, it was like 17 years ago or something stupid like that. And he never performed. He was like, I'm not going to win, I'm not going. And I think he always regretted it. So they <laughs> let him come and do it now when he doesn't really have the energy to perform it anymore. Oh, but people were into it. Yeah, they were into they liked it. it. They were into it. I didn't find it weird that he was there, but I found it weird that he kept pulling his mic away from his face on mm. loads of words like rehearse Eminem. Yeah, it's I think your it's song, just pal. time got caught up with him. Like it's fast rhymes and it's hard. Pretty slow. But <laughs> uh, May Rudolph and Kristen Wiggs presenting of the best costume award. Iconic. Iconic. That's how you do it, guys. That's how you do it. You rehearse again. Yeah. Note to BAFTA's presenters. Did any of you rehearse? Goodness me. And just bring your charisma. And just, you know, yeah, you might know some of the people in there, but like there's an audience watching and we want to be entertained. Yes. Um, and they did it and they were great. And we love them it. all the world. Thank you for being there. Billy, Thank you for being alive. the right face, though, didn't she? I went back and watched it and it's not that bad. It was a face for sure. Do you think it was one of those they caught her face at a funny yeah. time and now they've made her look like a brat? I do and I because mm. I, I just don't know why she would be that bothered about that. I think she understood it was a joke. No, it wasn't somebody like probably her. just said something stupid to her and she was like, well. Yeah, yeah. Or just like, I don't know, it was going with the bit a little bit. I, we, we, we don't know. Liked yeah. her Chanel suit though, side note. Yeah. Um, hope you're okay, Billy, and that you do respect those comedians because they're great. Because um, she listens to this podcast every day. She does. And Last one, when the crowd, in particular Margot Robbie and Charlize Theron sat at the front, cheered for the lights to go back <gasps> on. And the Tom producers, Hanks too. Yeah. yeah, and Tom Hanks. For the producers um, of Parasite so they could continue <sighs> their speeches after winning the award for best film. And that woman was so sweet. Mickey Lee, yeah. Mickey Lee, like, big shout out to Mickey Lee. She is. She made me want to cry. And a billionaire. She basically runs all of South Korean entertainment industry and a bunch of other industries on the side. She funds everything. 
And she's so humble. Yeah. And she was just like, I love Bong. I love his hair. Yeah. He's I really love his... funny. Yeah. He's really, he was like putting a little dating ad out for, for, for Bong. Yeah. Loved. Taken. Loved it. So what were some of your highlights? Well, um, I, as I mentioned before, big Parasite fan. So I stayed up all night with my box of Milka to watch in the hope that they won. And as, as some of our listeners might know, I have a big bet with Bryony Ford of Altitude releasing that's mm-hmm. almost 11 years in now that's all of Oscar season we bet on absolutely everything between us so and Betty I, Davis Joan Crawford of our time sure is <laughs> sure is and I bet hard on Parasite and um, although Parasite won I did not because I failed on best film editing and best song so thanks a lot Elton John your song was rubbish anyway terrible anyway but I was happy because Parasite won so I think every moment that they were able to come to the stage every moment that the cast was highlighted was really special for me Um, yeah he just kept shouting them out and I really respected that because it was a shame for them not to be if it's the best film why why are they not the best then why haven't you nominated the actors how come they won the SAG award for best ensemble but they weren't nominated for individual best actor truth Song Kang Ho who plays the dad and is also in pretty much all of Bong's other films just absolutely deserved an Oscar nomination so Mm -hmm. it's quite sad to me that he wasn't recognised for that but as you say everything was shared amongst the whole ensemble and and pretty much the whole cast were there and they were on stage for for Best Picture. Um, Best Director moment was really special for me. There's a clip that's circulating everywhere of um, actually I think it was when they won for Best Screenplay and Bong's just looking at his Oscar whilst the other writer talks and he just sort of giggles like, yeah. like he can't believe that it's finally happened. Um, and I love him very much. I am aware that the rest of the internet seems to think he's a bit of a My Little Pony rather than a grown human man. But, <laughs> but there's there's a happy medium between really respecting somebody and not and not infantilizing them. Obviously, a big moment for me was Laura Dern. I'm big Laura Dern fan, being the Lynch gal that I am. And I've adored her since um, Blue Velvet and Wild at Heart. Those are both really special films to me. So I thought it was wonderful that she won. I thought it was wonderful the way, as you say, she wanted to share that with Greta. And for me, Greta was literally just sitting on the edge of her seat the whole night. Like her body language, she was she was pushed forward and she was poised and she was so excited for all of her collaborators and friends to be doing so well and also I loved seeing her with Noah Bornbach I think they're such a wonderful creative couple and you can tell that they really love each other and <laughs> so great cannot wait for their Barbie film for their Barbie film that's being produced by Margot Robbie I just can't I just can't it's I, made for us it's it made is. for us thank you for making this film for us Greta and Noah thank you magical um some other moments that I loved I love Cynthia Erivo's song from Harriet yes Man, oh man, can that woman sing. Like, Tell I, me about I, it. I know that she's a, a Broadway and West End star and also she sings very beautifully in Bad Times at El Royale, um, just exceptionally. But for me, that, that song, how did that not win? How did that mm-hmm. song not win? And then Elton John comes out and he's like... It wasn't a great performance. I don't mind some Elton John, especially back in the day, but... Well, then you might like this because it's the same as every other Elton John song ever. Why? <laughs> no, I know. No, I didn't like. I didn't like his performance of it at all. No. And I, I wasn't bothered about him winning. And yeah, no. she should have got it. She should have got it. She, yeah. she is a spectacular singer mm-hmm. and, and like there were shivers down my spine every single note was perfect and the range from going from really really high to really, really low was just spot on 
Can you imagine singing in that setting? Oh my goodness, Jesse Buckley singing at the BAFTAs. Now that was something else. See, I didn't catch the BAFTAs, oh. just clips. So you'll have to you'll have to feed us. It the might be content. obvious here that I'm absolutely mad for for really beautiful singers. But Jesse Buckley sang the song from Wild Rose, oh. uh, which is called Glasgow. There's no place like home, which was written. I may be wrong, but I'm not. By Mary Steenburgen, nice. who is um, a wonderful actress. She's been in many TV things. She's been in um, Back to the Future Part 3. She's married to Ted Danson. She's wonderful. Um, and she, she wrote that song. And again, it was just one of those moments that absolutely it, it pierced through the TV and was much better than the 10th year running of a bit of Cirque du Soleil, if you ask me. it was She was beautiful. So um, I think we can expect to see Jessie Buckley in many, many more things and using her absolutely perfect voice in them as well. Great. We thought we'd put together a collection of some of our favourite iconic moments at award shows. They're primarily from the Oscars because a lot of more stuff happens there. Yeah, I love what, the BAFTAs. Why does more things happen at the Oscars? I don't know. It's just a little bit, I guess, because like everybody's there. Yeah, the BAFTAs do tend to be a little dry. A little dry. Still love them, but um, they're mainly from the Oscars. So we're going to do a rundown. I'll kick us off with one of my favourite things is that Catherine Hepburn attended the Oscars in her gardening gear. And it just complete with like mud for, on it from from gardening that day. She ne- she's known for, notoriously for never turning up, mm. for kind of despising Hollywood after she was written about as box office poison mm. back in the in the day. Um, and I just love her energy, and I loved that she did that. And she's just waving around, and I encourage anybody to just Google that because it's a lot of fun oh, an and just kind of a nice sucker punch to the entirety of what the Oscars is. Yeah. Um, for mine's a stupid one, and I don't know if that many people remember it, but it's something that I think about quite often. So it was at the BAFTAs, and um, it was probably about six years ago now. Sally Field and Eddie Redmayne were coming to the stage <laughs> to co-present an award, uh, but they were announced together. But just Sally Field came out, and she went, "I'm really sorry, but Eddie Redmayne's backstage. He's been sick everywhere," <laughs> and. I think she expected everybody to laugh, but the whole audience were just like, what is going on? <laughs> and I guess he had food poisoning or something, but I remember it all the time. Every BAFTAs that comes along, Eddie Redmayne barfing backstage at the BAFTAs and he couldn't come and present an award. I actually think about it every time I see Eddie Redmayne. It was never addressed again. Nobody ever spoke about <laughs> it again. And sometimes I think, did I dream this? The BAFTAs? Yeah, the BAFTAs. <laughs> the BAFTAs, that's how he'd pronounce it, actually. Yeah. Amazing. I do like those moments where that no one else is really picking them up as an iconic moment but oh. but we are just because yeah. we're watching every corner of the screen yeah like i'm sometimes not even watching like the main presenter i'm looking at the crowd like every time there's a crowd shot i'm like what are they reacting what are they doing yes. what can we learn about this world <laughs> <laughs> um another one um i remember this clear as day because it wasn't that long ago but still took long enough catherine bigelow winning the best director mm. at the 82nd Academy Awards just took 82 years no problem quick time um first female to ever win the director award at the Oscars one of very few nominees at all and um when you I remember when me and my friend were just holding each other's arms like oh my god it is it's her because Barbara Streisand sort of says well it's happened and then you're like we know what she's gonna say 
And then she gets up and everyone just kind of can't believe it. And there's like this kind of joy, but also like quietness in the room because it's just so iconic. I think everyone's just kind of holding the moment in their arms and she's really shaken. And is you can tell she, she does quite a good job at her speech to be mm. fair, how much of a shock it seems to be for her. But like when she's walking off, she's like holding on to Barbara Streisand like, oh my, like, whoa. Yeah, she's shaking and... um. It was just a really cool moment. And obviously, like, in terms of the Hollywood goss, obviously she used to be married to James, James Cameron, Cameron. So it was kind of like everybody was looking mm. at it for lots of different reasons, but a very iconic moment and so oh, nice yes, to because he was be. nominated in the same he was, year, wasn't he? He was, yeah. yeah. And he was happy for it. He clapped, he but yeah, it was... It was. And could he have really expected to win for Avatar? I hope not. No. <laughs> Keep your box office awards. You got that. Yeah. You're getting the Oscar as well. Um, but yeah, another great one. But still no women have been nominated since, but one interesting... Nominated, yes, but not yeah. one. Oh, right. Gre- Greta was nominated for... Um, for Lady, Lady Bird. Bird, yes. Um, but one interesting thing about this year, um, although no female directors were nominated for Best Director, um, there were in the documentary category four out of five of the directors were women. Yes, yes. Which is what it's about. Which which was really pleasing. It's nice. It's nice just to see. Um, a little bit more interesting things happened in some of the other categories. Um, and speaking of best doc- documentary, one of my favourite bits from um, from the BAFTAs, one of the most iconic bits from the BAFTAs for me, was actually this year when Fosama won. It oh. won best documentary at the BAFTAs, which is just such a special film. And it's a film that um, a lot of our film societies, community cinemas have really, really connected with. And we screened it for them at our community cinema conference last year and everybody was in pieces. So one of the most special moments of the BAFTAs was when um, the director came to the stage and her daughter came to the stage too. Sama came to the Sama. stage. And she was just wearing like a beautiful little party dress and she was just bouncing up and down on the stage. And her mum, Wad Al-Khatib, was giving a very, very beautiful speech about Syria and how it's important that we still really pay attention to the situation that's going on there, that it's still going on, that people are still in really dangerous situations. Um, and to just see her with her family um, was really, really wonderful and really special. And I was not surprised at all that that film won. I think it particularly connected with British audiences. So I- I'm really pleased to see that BAFTA recognised that film. Definitely. Such a deserving win. We have to talk about... Bjork <laughs> in a swan dress <laughs> and laid an egg. Oh, God, I love her so much. And, you know, people <laughs> did not re- realise that that was an iconic moment at the time. time. Like, they treated her terribly, just like this insane Icelandic person showing up, not disrespecting our red carpet, not taking anything seriously, looking like that in a swan dress, just treated her terribly it was only 2001 but people did not see her vision and her fashion and her fashion and her performance in dance from the dark was incredible to let her do what she wants she wants to lay an egg on that red carpet as a swan let her do it she went through in that movie as well she was treated very very poorly by the director and now that is taken as an absolutely iconic moment of of the Oscars and whenever you watch any kind of clip show or anything about the fashion related to the Oscars that is top yeah. of the list even now yeah 20 years on I've recreated that dress but in pink with a flamingo so that's how much it's that is dedication touched your heart. it's touched my heart <laughs> um Halle Berry winning Best Actress in 2002 at the 74th Academy Awards for Monsters Ball 74th. and being the first uh, woman of colour 
to win that award and giving such a beautiful speech that really paid paid tribute to so many black women that had come before her like Dorothy Dandridge like um, Lena Horne Lena Horne Hattie McDaniels it was a really really special moment I think as um as a probably a teenager then what year was it yeah we were teenagers well 2002 late teens for more (laughs) um that was probably the first time that I heard the phrase people of colour as well. I think that I'd only ever heard African-American or black. And I think that was the first time that I heard it. And she brought attention um, to that and so many other things in that moment. Yeah, it was. It's Again, I recommend going, everybody going back and watching these moments. But it's genuinely very emotional. She is it cannot breathe for it happening and she's holding on to her mum and her agent and, mm. and her husband as it, as it happens um, and it's it's just great and an African-American woman has not won that award since. Not for actress, Not for no. actress, supporting, supporting actor, actress, yeah. yes, but not for support, uh, not for full Here for we are actor. pulling out all of our facts. Yeah, pulling them out oh, of our head. These are, these are from our memory. Um, so one moment that I always remember and I think one of the... One of the reasons I really remember it is because it's featured in Mommy Dearest is when Joan Crawford won the Oscar for, I think it was for Mildred Pierce. Um, but she was convinced that she was not going to win. And whose fault was it? Of course, it was Betty Davis's fault that she was not going to win. So she did not deign to go to the Oscars. And she uh, faked an illness, stayed at home, stayed in bed. Um, but she won. And basically, the award was swept up and taken to her house where she was lying in bed very glamorously with beautiful <laughs> nightwear full face of makeup and the press arrived at her door and presented it to her and there's a very iconic image of her holding the oscar in bed um and it's it's just a special moment and it also it's part of that whole betty davis yeah. joan crawford feud which is just that's stuff hollywood's made yeah. of isn't it and like silk gowns just yeah. to make it more Hollywood. And yeah. she's in, oh, can, I, I, I don't even know if she was wearing an eye mask, but I'm picturing one with a name stitched in it. Oh, yeah. In gold. Mommy oh. Dearest stitched in gold. It should say Mommy <laughs> Dearest. If that's not out there, make that. Yeah. Uh, another one, I didn't see it obviously live because I was two, uh, well, I was nine years old when it happened. And we didn't really get the Oscars over here then. Not very so easily. much. Um, but the uh, Roberto Benini. Mm-hmm. Roberto Benini uh, won Best Director for Life is Beautiful and um, there's a great clip on YouTube and he walks across the seats um, to get to the stage because mm. he's just so joyful and everybody's helping him get there and they're, they're loving it and there's some of my favourite moments where you can see that the crowd who are obviously their fellow artists and, and, and they can really understand the joy that they might be feeling and they're really happy for them um, when they're kind of like shocked or in in awe and joy for these people as well, and I think it like spreads to to audiences at home watching it, which is just really exciting. Um, which brings us to one of the most iconic <gasps> moments of yes. awards history, which was but two years ago, three, two, three, three. yeah. Don't know. Take us, take us paint paint the picture, Jack. Paint the picture. It's six in the morning. <laughs> I am with Bryony, as aforementioned, and we've stayed up all night eating little bags of mini cookies to try and keep us awake. And La La Land is called for best picture. And that's on my sheet that La La Land's gonna win. But Bryony's got a different film. Bryony's got Moonlight. And we're like, oh great, yeah. La La Land. Very expected, lovely. And they all come to the stage and 
all the kerfuffle starts to happen. You're like, something's happening. And we literally clung to each other. And we're like, it's not them. It's not them. And you could see it wasn't them. You saw that it wasn't the moment. And that's the moment the producer of La La Land shows the envelope to the screen and says... It's moonlight. Gas. And we scream the place down, six in the morning in her flat. <laughs> it was so exciting. You could see the people who were watching, the people in the audience, literally getting their camera phones out and recording it. It was fantastic. And, you know, I felt sorry for the La La Land people as they were kind of swept off to the side. But it wasn't their moment. It wasn't their Moonlight's moment. moment it baby. was Moonlight's moment, and and by God, did Barry Jenkins deserve that? And I'm a big Mahershala Ali fan as well. Like, what a year! Uh, just all of the intrigue afterwards. What happened? Whose fault it was? Was it Warren Beatty? Was it Faye Dunaway who threw who under the bus? Again, it's the <laughs> stuff that Hollywood is made Literally. of. Literally, like you'll get you. This moment will be talked about for decades. Yeah. I remember, like as well, Warren Beatty could tell it was wrong. He was reading. He was thinking something's not right here because the envelope said uh, Emma Stone, La yeah. La Land for um, actress. actress. Um, so goodness knows why that was in there again. But then he knew it was wrong. And then he kind of just like passed it to Faye Dunaway to give her the responsibility of saying out loud. Yeah. Oh, and then the guy with the with the Britney mic on. Oh, uh, yeah, Britney mic around. Guy. I just felt really bad for that they let the La La Land guys do so many of their speeches. Mm. Like I felt really bad for them. Not because, I mean, I'm so glad Moonlight won. That's the yeah. one I wanted to win. That was my best film for sure that year. But... But they managed to pick it up, and he, it was just sad that he was the one who had to go. Okay, I know what this is. Just you need to announce it, yeah. announced it, and then did say like, "I'm going to be proud to present this to yeah. my friends who who uh, who made Moonlight." And it was just great. And then people are in tears, like you mm. say. Samuel Jackson gets his camera phone out. Like I yeah. feel like it takes a lot to shock or excite Samuel Jackson, and uh, that was a great moment. So when you know, like all all of Hollywood are like, "What is happening?" then you know something big is happening. So good. It was great. Stars, they're just like us. They like it when people mess up too. Yes, they're so similar. Yeah. And what's funny, um, uh, evolution of this story is Briny Works Altitude now, which represented Moonlight. Hey. Hey, full circle. Shout like out to Briny Ford. But that was a year to stay up for, if you ask me. Like, I... I do try and stay up for the Oscars most years. Um, I was unable to last year because I had the flu, but then Green Book would, so I don't mind. Yeah, I can live. I can live with missing Green Book win Best Picture. Nobody's going to remember that. That's not an iconic moment. People are going to remember Moonlight. And people are going to remember Parasite as a humongous moment, yeah. and and I definitely will too. So that's us coming to the end of a slightly hysterical podcast. Again, we have not talked to each other about film in some time and we've been unable to contain ourselves. But if you like us and you like the Cinema for All podcast, please rate and review us on iTunes, share us on social media, on Cinema for All pod, or even just tell your friends about it. It goes such a long way. For now, it's time to roll credits. Producer, Jay Platt. Logo designed by Lydia Lipinski at Thoughts Make Things. Hosted by Jack Chell and Abby Standish with thanks to Deborah Parker and Sheffield Live. The Cinema for All podcast is supported by the BFI awarding funds from the National Lottery. Thank, Thank you! you.